0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 346. Today's big Bible questions are, what does it mean that the just shall live by faith? And should you show hospitality to everybody? Well, happy Monday, friends. I am writing this episode on Saturday, December 5th and really am quite curious about what Monday and the whole upcoming week looks like. As you might have heard, my state of California is preparing to undergo lockdown again, and while our county of Monterey hasn't been fully locked down yet, I'm quite sure it's coming eventually because the counties around us are all locked down and uh, Monterey is not doing great uh, coronavirus-wise, so may the Lord preserve us and may the Lord preserve you Welcome aboard to new listeners from Tel Aviv, Israel, Southwest England, I don't know, maybe the Plymouth or the Exeter area, perhaps, Bangladesh, Sakim, India, Columbus, Ohio, New York, New York, and the Boston, Manchester area. Today we're going to read Second Chronicles 7, Habakkuk 2, Luke 21, and 2 John. I think Habakkuk is probably the hardest to spell book in the Bible. Uh, it's got one B and three total Ks, two Ks in the middle, and one there at the end. And it's also one of the most underrated books in the Bible. I mean, how many sermons have you heard out of Habakkuk? I love the book and I myself haven't preached through it nearly enough. So I guess I'm part of the problem there. In this book, only three chapters long, the prof- prophet Habakkuk has some questions for God and he boldly asks them. He asks some of the biggest questions we have. Why do we cry out to God for help and he doesn't answer us? Why does God tolerate injustice and wickedness? wickedness in the world without punishing some of the most wicked people and nations in the world. And why does God use unrighteous people like the Chaldeans, Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians, etc. to punish his people, the Israelites, when the people doing the punishing are usually worse morally than the Israelites? Why is there so much justice and oppression in the world in general? For a short book, Habakkuk packs a lot of deep questions. Interestingly enough, God gives him some answers too. And in the long run, they're pretty deeply and ultimately satisfying, but in the short run of our lives, well, maybe less so. This book is a wonderful reminder that God is the God of eternity and not merely focused on the immediate now. In Habakkuk 1, the prophet asks all of his questions and God gives him a small answer. Habakkuk asks why God tolerates so much sin and oppression and injustice and God says, Hey, I'm doing something about it. I'm calling in the Chaldeans to punish my people, reminding us that judgment begins in the household of God, as 1 Peter 4.17 says. This answer seems rather unfair to Habakkuk, who points out that the ones doing the punishment of Israel are worse and more evil than his fellow countrymen. Then he sets up and waits for God to answer his second complaint. He says... At the beginning of Habakkuk 2, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Well, let's read the whole passage there, Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2, and see how it goes. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, I will stand at my guard post, station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it, for the vision is yet for the appointed time, it testifies about the end and will not lie, though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated, he is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man, is never at rest, he enlarges his appetite like shale. And like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. Won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you, because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self, for the next. stones will cry out from the wall, and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you And utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape, trust in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up! Or to mute stone, come alive! Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. So first, God says to write down his answer and to make it plain. You might have heard that verse before. So many motivational style preachers and teachers have used that verse, write the vision and make it plain, as if God was giving advice uh, in how to motivate yourself for life or something like that. I've heard this verse used like, In church, like, building projects and things like that, write the vision and make it plain. I kind of, I'll just be honest with you, I kind of find this a weird use of the particular passage. God simply seems to be saying to Habakkuk something like, Look, I'm going to answer your question, so write down my answer and make it clear so you can share it with other people. This isn't a passage that's really focused on how to, like, set goals for your life or for your church or whatever, and reach them, and maximize your productivity. It's not really kind of angling at that. Instead, God's answer to Habakkuk's queries is pretty fascinating. He basically says that he will ultimately and finally punish all of the wicked, that idols can't help with anything, and that God is in his holy temple, and all men should be quiet before him perhaps a warning to Habakkuk and us to be careful in our questioning. In the midst of that answer, however, God gives us this amazing drop of wisdom. The righteous one will live by his faith. Now, this verse is quoted at least three times in the New Testament, in Hebrews 10, Romans 1, and Galatians 3. In the context of Habakkuk, it appears that God is saying something like, you have many questions about how I am running the world according to my sovereign plan, but you need to have faith that I am going to do the right and the best thing ultimately, and you need to have faith that ultimately the wicked will be cut off and the righteous will be saved. Paul, in the writer of Hebrews, builds off of this particular Verse, to further proclaim that faith doesn't merely assure you that God is just and will reward the righteous and punish the wicked, but also that salvation is not by our own innate goodness or by our volumes of good works or whatever, but by faith in God and faith in the sacrifice of Jesus to save us from our sins. Ultimately, faith in God and his goodness and faith in Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins and faith in Jesus and his promise of eternal life leaves us in the place where we can hear God say, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence, Habakkuk 2.20, and we can say to that, Amen. Well, second question, remember yesterday? Honestly, it could have been the day before. These episodes kind of run together in my head when we talked about how we must get the whole counsel of God on a particular topic by searching through the Word. Well, today we have a great example of the importance of that principle. Hospitality was and is a huge deal in the Middle Eastern world that Jesus grew up in. To fail to show hospitality to someone in big need was a really monstrous thing in that culture, and it is a necessity for Christians. We see this command to hospitality more than one place in scripture, for instance first peter four nine be hospitable to one another without complaining, or romans twelve thirteen share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, or hebrews thirteen two don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. That's uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So we should show hospitality in every situation to every person, right? Well, actually, the answer is no. We haven't gotten the whole and full counsel of God on this situation yet. So let's read the letter of 2 John and find out what we're missing. Second John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with a command we have received from the Father, So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver in the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works." Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. This is a pretty stark warning here. Even though the word hospitality isn't used by John, it's clear that's what he's addressing. We must not show hospitality or welcoming or even greet somebody who is going around teaching false things about Jesus. Specifically, the falsehood that John is warning about here is those who say Jesus did not come in the flesh, which is the heresy known as docetism plus the going beyond the Bible or Orthodox teaching about Jesus. In other words, adding to the Word of God, which many groups do who have splintered off from Christianity. John says to us, when these kind of people knock on your door and want to talk to you and spread their untrue things about Jesus and the Word of God— then this is the one instance where Christians are specifically forbidden from showing hospitality or even giving greetings. Well, why should we do this? Well, we don't want to encourage false teachers of Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Now, I note here that this does not condone hostility or attack or aggression or insults or any sort of thing like that. Simply to not greet or receive a known false teacher into your home, to not help them spread false teaching around. Now, here are some strong words from Spurgeon on this topic. And he says, As he who aids and abets a thief cannot be an honest man, so he who encourages a false teacher in a, is a sharer in his crime. Also, I believe that Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones is quite correct here in applying John's position on not welcoming false teachers into your home to also not welcoming them into your church home, which, as Paul says, is the pillar in the household of the faith. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, The Apostle John in his second epistle says, If there be any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. That's the King James Version. We must act on this principle. It's my duty never to allow a man to occupy the pulpit of the church where I am a pastor at who has a wrong view of any of these cardinally important doctrines. He is not only not a true preacher, he is an enemy and a menace. He is not all only of no value as a teacher, he is a danger. If I can help him, all well and good, says Dr. Lloyd-Jones, but I not, must not welcome him into my house. I must not regard him as a brother. I must not be friendly with such a man. I must show that there is an essential difference between us. There is nothing that is so fatal to spiritual vigor and power as a wrong attitude to the Word of God and to the cardinal Christian doctrines. That is why the Apostle wrote the first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 15, Certain people were denying the resurrection. Why is Paul concerned about this? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. The life will go wrong if the doctrine is wrong, and I have no hesitation in her asserting again that one of the main causes of the condition of the Christian church today is the departure during the past century from a belief in the divine and full inspiration of the Holy Scripture and its final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. And of course, that's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote that in 1977, and I think he was, if he was alive to see what was going on today, he would probably say it even stronger. Now, this does not mean we quibble over non-essential, non-cardinal doctrines. You say, well, what is a cardinal doctrine? What does a cardinal bird have to do with any of this? Cardinal is being used here by Dr. Lloyd-Jones in the sense of importance, at an important fundamental doctrine to the fr- Christian faith. Can we disagree on some things? Absolutely and we will. But the fundamental crystal clear doctrines of the faith as outlined in the Bible, we must not. We must be in unity on those things and we must protect the church from false teachers in that regard. Well, let's continue with 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, Fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Amen. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. All the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and praised the Lord, for he is good, for his faithful love endures forever. The king and all the people were offering sacrifices in the Lord's presence. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 122,000 sheep and goats. In this manner, the king and all the people dedicated God's temple. The priests and the Levites were standing at their stations. The Levites had the musical instruments of the Lord, which King David had made to give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever when he offered praise with them. Across from the Levites, the priests were blowing trumpets, and all the people were standing. Since the bronze altar that Solomon had made could not accommodate the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, Solomon first consecrated the middle of the courtyard that was in the front of the Lord's temple and then offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings there. So Solomon and all of Israel with him, a great, very great assembly, from the entrance to Hamath to the brook of Egypt, observed the festival at that time for seven days. On the eighth day they held a solemn assembly, for the dedication of the altar lasted seven days and the festival seven days. On the twenty third day of the seventh month he sent the people home, rejoicing and with happy hearts, for the goodness of the Lord had the goodness the Lord had done for David, for Solomon and for his people Israel. So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace. Everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut up the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways... Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. However, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow in worship to them, then I will uproot Israel from the soil that I gave them. And this temple that I have sacrificed for my name I will banish from my presence. I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. As for this temple which was exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and say, Why did the Lord do this to the land and to this temple? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They clung to other gods and bowed and worshipped to them and served them. Because of this, he brought all this ruin on them. Luke chapter 21 verse 1, he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, These things that you see... The days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Then he said, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, Nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all of these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, those inside the city must leave it, and those who are in the country must not enter it, because these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will be killed by the sword and be led by captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world, because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life, for that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. Amen. Well, friends, may the word of the Lord dwell richly in your heart by faith. May you look to him. May he be the lifter of your head today. Good day to you. Thank you for listening, and Godspeed.